Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. This show may contain words that would offend the sensibility of certain habitués of monasteries. It's Tuesday, November 26th, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Beavers, beavers, are to be reintroduced to England. Hello, England. I give you beavers. I believe you've met. Some history delivered by people with British accents. Now, a thousand years ago, beavers were a common animal across Europe. True, but then they were hunted for their pelts, their meat, and their scent sacks. Oh, yes. Beaver perfume, very sought after until the beaver was no more. But now, Britain brings back beavers. Why? Tell us, enlightened BBC gentlemen. Because beavers, of course, build dams across rivers. And with all the flooding they've been experiencing in Britain, well, let's get these little dam builders pitching in. Did you know studies show that beaver dams improve water quality? Also, other wildlife species thrive thanks to the work of beavers. Sure, some Scottish farmers hate the beavers and have been shooting the beavers. But you know, what don't Scottish farmers hate? If you had to pick the grumpiest demo known to man, it's a craggly Scottish farmer. To quote one famous Scotsman, John Beavers, they ruined Scotland. Let us now, after that outburst, let us end with a confluence of mellifluence. Yes, I give you Sir David Attenborough saying the word beaver. A beaver. Indeed. On the show today, well, I want to bring you some nice news from England, which I did there, the beaver thing, because the spiel is all about some shameful news. Prince Andrew, a member of the royal family, the Duke of York, has been credibly accused of having sexual relations with an underage girl procured by Jeffrey Epstein. I catch you up on the disastrous interview he gave and the fallout thereof. But first, a new kind of apple has been developed, really invented. They invent apples. Did you know that? Now you will, after this interview. Maybe there's a lot you didn't know about the apple development process. The cosmic crisp is upon us. The juiciest, sweetest, but in many ways the most delicate apple ever produced. I talked to Dan Pashman of the Sporkful podcast about the dawn of the cosmic crisp. Hardcore apple talk. It's a real stem winder. Any way you slice it. We will plant seeds of knowledge. Insight by the bushel fill. Delivered by one and a half juice. Up next. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about the Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. 
He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where uh, I got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A is for Apple. That we know. I would say every single alphabet book that I ever read as a kid always had A is for Apple. B was pretty much up for grabs. Then when it came to C, maybe cookie. But now C could stand for a new delicious type of apple. Because as much as A is for Apple, there are many, many different kinds of apples, more than there ever have been. And if I'm going to think about apples and the changing world of apples and the crispiness thereof, I think of no one but Dan Pashman. He is the host of the Sporkful podcast from Stitcher. Hello, Dan. How are you? Hey, Mike. What's going on in the world of apples? Oh, big. This is a big time right now, Mike, in the world of apples. We are on the cusp of the biggest apple launch in history. What do you mean apple launch? <laughs> is a catapult involved? Yes. Apples nowadays often are launched in the in the marketing, branding, business sense of a product launch. Yeah. So what's the new apple? The new apple is called the Cosmic Crisp. It oh should start God, appearing on shelves around America December 1st. <laughs> it has been 20 years in the making and development in Washington State. Oh, that's a good place Milli- for apples. Yes, millions of dollars have been spent to develop it. Millions of dollars spent marketing it. And the number of apples that will be in production in the first year of Cosmic Crisp, mm. it took Honeycrisp 20 years to get to that same level of production. Okay, so if people that don't Cosmic know- Cosmic Crisp is launching at. So Honeycrisp was an engineered, developed apple. Yeah. It doesn't appear I mean, in the wild. kind of, most apples were engineered and developed in some way. What are the real apples that just show up on trees without anyone doing anything about it? Well, traditionally, apples were not for eating. Uh-huh. Uh, when Johnny Appleseed went around planting apple trees, that was for cider, so that people would, if people settled in new areas, they'd have, be able to have something to drink that was safe to drink. Real guy, Johnny Appleseed. Yes. Huh. I'm not sure that that was his actual legal last name. No, it's actually turnip seed. <laughs> right. He had to, he had right. To, but you know, put his finger on the scale. Right. That was for cider. That, actually, apple baum. <laughs> for obvious reasons, yeah. the mores of the time were right. different. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Johnny Appleseed did that for cider. But then when Prohibition came along, the Apple people said, well, we, we need to, to engineer apples for eating. And they created the slogan, an apple a day keeps the doctor away to sell more apples. And that's when they started breeding apples more for eating. And, and what's interesting, you know, it's actually that the process of creating new apples involves like literally splicing open a branch and like jamming in the other kind of apple. And that's how they grow together. Where, like a tiny, like the seed, not the apple. You take a branch of the tree and you like, yeah. it's so primitive uh-huh. that you think it must be more involved than that. It's but not it, a Petri dish. Right. I mean, look, nowadays with the Cosmic Crisp, it's a little more scientific than that, but not that much more scientific. Have you seen it done? I have not seen this actual process yeah. with my own eyes. But so basically what happened was there was a, there were a lot of different kinds of apples out there. But then like sort of in the age, as the age of industrialization and supermarkets took hold mm-hmm. and, and refrigeration and foods being shipped everywhere... The Red Delicious became the apple. Yeah. You know, but the Red Delicious was mostly created for its looks and its durability. Yeah. So Washington State produces very many, you know, they're hugely reliant on apples. They produce a ton of apples, majority of the country's apples. And they started making all these Red Delicious and it was going great for them. But the reason why durability is important in Washington State is that all the apples get harvested in the fall. But they want to be able to sell the apples all year round. Mm -hmm. So they harvest in the fall and those apples have to keep in refrigerated warehouses for months. Mm -hmm. So the Red Delicious was going great. But then... Newer, better apples came along. Where was the Mac? To me, when I was a kid, I'm a little older than you. Those were the two we had, the Mac and, and, and the Golden Delicious. delicious. Golden, that was right. a there special. Was, there was Fancy the, apple. Yeah. Maybe there was a Granny Smith involved. Yeah. I'm just going through names of My Little Ponies. Yeah. I think yeah. these are all them. But. but it was the red one, the right. green one, and the yellow That's one. That's right. right. What, you, what else do you need? Yeah, exactly. But then the Honeycrisp came along. Oh, the Honeycrisp. And crisp. that really exploded people's ideas of like the name recognition of the Honeycrisp right. and that people were willing to pay so much more for How it. much more is a Honeycrisp uh, than a Macintosh? It's at least double. Really? Yeah. And they're bigger apples, but you mean They're bigger per, per pound, yeah. 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 Honeycrisp, correct me if I'm wrong, invented, developed by University of Minnesota? That's right. But so here's an interesting thing about that process. So they developed the Honeycrisp, a huge success. Yeah. But they did not brand the Honeycrisp, which was a big mistake. Right. So part if of the- They called it the Golden Gopher Crisp. Because well, they're- Well, the point is they didn't, they didn't trademark the name. Okay. Ah, so so nowadays, well, the reason why you see so many new apples coming on the market is because of this innovation in fruit, um, which may yet sp- you know, spread to more fruits, yeah. called apple clubs. And so you have a, a group of growers essentially form a collective. The a new apple gets developed, and they agree that you need to pay to get into the club, oh and only the members of the club will have permission to grow the apple. Oh. So that controls supply. Yeah. That ensures that even if this turns out not to be a bazillion apple-selling varietal, it's insurance for the growers because they'll be able to do pretty well because supply will be limited. Also, you can pool resources to market the apple. Um, And this this removes a lot of the risk for growers because, as you can imagine, Mike, it takes a while to grow an apple tree. So if you're, even if you're growing Red Delicious and sales are going down a little bit every year and you're getting nervous, you're still more nervous to start planting trees that you aren't sure anyone's going to want in three or four or five years when the apples are ready. Oh, yeah, it's a big true. risk. Yeah. And so these clubs are able to mitigate that risk. And that is why you see these, you know, the Pink Lady and the Snapdragon and all these others. And they own the name. And so there's, you'll see the, the TM next yeah. to the, those names. So there's a huge amount of money in these licensing fees. The universe. University of 
Washington stands to make about a hundred million dollars. Wow. Because Minnesota made like 20 million. And from what I read, it was the second most lucrative thing they ever invented after like a very useful drug. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they did fine on the Honeycrisp. You don't don't weep for them. They did very well. (laughs) Yes. But but they would have done better had they gone the club route. Somewhere there's a University of Minnesota guy who's like Ray Liotta from Goodfellas. (laughs) The Honeycrisp Maiden. (laughs) It was a Lufthansa heist of apples. I also found out that the grandparents of the Honeycrisp, which I think they identified with like paternity tests are the Duchess of Oldenburg and of course the Golden Delicious. So they're like prize racehorses. Yes, 100%. Yeah. That's you right. You go back in the apple family tree. Yes, and the parents of the Cosmic Crisp, the new apple, are the Honey Crisp uh-huh. and one called the Enterprise, which yeah. was picked partly for looks and partly for durability. And that's where they get, now you've answered the question. I was wondering why Cosmic, but the Enterprise, the name of a famous spaceship, Getting the cosmos involved. It's so funny you say that because I totally missed that reference when we did a deep dive on this on the Sporkful podcast. But the the story, because I interviewed the woman who oversaw the naming of, you know, because Apple Names is a huge thing. It's a good name. They said that when they, they do focus groups yeah. to, for the name, and when they put the apple in front of consumers, they were noticing that there were a lot of small yellow flecks that some people thought looked like stars. Oh, so that's where it's the Cosmic that's, Crisp? That's it. But then, then I think after the fact, they were like, oh, Enterprise, that's a yeah. fun connection too. Now, bananas, the Cavendish banana is like the banana we have now, right? Right. But it used to be a totally different type of banana and they all died. That's right. Are the new kinds of um, the Cosmic Crisp, are they engineered to be resistant to this sort of uh, mass die-off or we won't know until it happens. We won't know until it happens, but I think that, you know, look, if it sells as well as the Honeycrisp for the next few years, they'll be doing very well. I mean, I I think that they, I mean, I tasted the Cosmic Crisp. Yeah. And my first thought was like, you know how like... um, uh, te- like phone screens and yes. like computer screens just keep getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Like you're, you're like super retina, right? You know, right? Brightness or saturation. There is this arms race in terms of you know mouthfeel and flavor. Yeah, yeah. You they keep reading. Famous wine critic for you know being responsible. Yeah, right. It, like it, blowing it, out your taste buds. Yes, just like like the saturation. All the levels are turned up. Right. And so it was incredibly crunchy. It was very sweet. It was the juiciest apple I've ever had. Huh. So so juicy that I actually had the juice go down the wrong pipe and almost choked. <laughs> what if it kills people? I what know, right. Co- you know Fox News is going to be yeah. running story after story on that. I will say I think there's an opportunity because as good as it was, it was For it was very sweet. And, <laughs> it was very sweet and not that tart. Uh-huh. And, you know, our, our taste buds in America are changing. Yeah. Um, we like tart. We are opening up. the Honey Crisp more tart? It's a, than the Cosmic Crisp? Well, or than me. others? No, I thought the Honey Crisp was a slightly tarter apple. I mean, not not compared to like a Macintosh okay. or some of like your apple pie type apples. Yeah. But I think that there's going to be an opportunity. I think the next big one is going to be a little bit more balanced in flavor. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit more tart, uh, more complex. Because our taste buds in America are veering in that direction. Yeah. All right. Mike, it, as you know, you're a lover of words. Uh-huh. People put a lot of thought and effort into Apple names, yeah. as you know very well. Yeah. We're going to play a game now called Apple Variety or New England Town. Okay. Cumberland. Cumberland. I always uh, Cumberland, Vermont. It's a town. It is a town. Yeah. I don't know if it's Vermont. It yeah. might be in Massachusetts. There okay. may be more than one. Sure. Lemonster. Oh, Lemonster. It's a town in New England. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Adams Pearman. Oh, an apple? Adam's an apple. apple. Very good, very good. Adam's Pearman, spelled yeah. P-A-I-R. Huh. 
M A I N. Baldwin. I grew up in a town named Baldwin. I've never heard of an apple named Baldwin, but I'm going to say it's an apple. It is both. Oh, nice. Trick question. Strong. <laughs> Strong New Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> apple, and I'll tell you why I said apple. Why? Because if it was a town, I'd have heard of it. Like hell, Michigan. It is a town. Damn it. <laughs> Where is it? Uh, I believe it's in Massachusetts. All right. Let me see. Strong city, Kansas. <laughs> strong city, Kansas. I got strong city, Kansas. That's all, right. all I got. Close enough. Yeah. Holly. Apple. Both. Okay, that's good. Last one. Yeah. Cumberbatch. Mmm, a Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch apple. Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch main. Town. Neither. Oh, that's uh, good. That's good. I think you keep on your toes, Mike. That's pretty good. Dan Pashman, Dan, thank you very much for all your Apple knowledge. My pleasure, Mike. It was uh, more than a kernel of insight. Oh. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, you're part of the core curriculum. Oh. Yeah. Um, I the spore fruit. An episode of the Spork Full of Day. Uh-huh. Something, something. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Wordsmith. He really, the pun, the pun game. Strong. Dan Pashman is the host of the Sporkful podcast available wherever you get podcasts on Stitcher. And he's an Apple expert, at least for now. And if people want to listen to either Apple or non-Apple content, what's a good sporkful coming up? Well, we got the Apple one that just came out. And then if you want to scroll back a little bit in the feed, we did an episode all about the use of the, the word. Feed. <laughs> yeah, the I feed. Yeah, the feed, yeah. Uh, we did an episode all about the use of the word plantation in food branding. Is this because the university, is this because Dickinson University students objected to the phrase plantation mint tea? Do I didn't you know about this. No, did that happen recently? Yeah, it happened like five days ago. I wonder if it was inspired by our episode. We talked about this. Our episode predated that controversy. So there's a Bigelow's brand of tea. Yeah, I, I, don't, Mike, I just spent we spent a year working on an episode about this topic. You don't need to tell me about it. Okay, so here's what happened in Dickinson. Students got upset that there is a tea variety varietal. Right. With the word plantation, I'll, I'll let me look it's it up. Bigelow Plantation Mint, probably. That's it. Yes. And they raised their concerns. Yep. They got the CEO of Bigelow's on the horn, on the blower. Really? She said- was, we, 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 They denied multiple they requests did. of ours, yes. They said, we understand your concerns. My mother was the one who named that, and she named it because they're called tea plantations, and she means no offense, but we'll look into it. I guess they did a little corporate PR. Right. I don't know if the knowledge that this wasn't a reference to any other- plantation other than say a tea plantation i don't know that if that assuages the students of, at dickinson but would that happen a few days ago well we encourage people to listen to this episode because it's all about that and uh it's it starts with an interview with a food writer named osai endelin who wrote a piece about plantation rum uh-huh. and she sort of sends me off on a quest to talk with white people who are using the term plantation and food branding to try to unpack what exactly they're trying to communicate by using the word oh so what do you conclude well, people should listen to the episode, but uh, uh, we learned a lot about, and I learned a lot about being white in America and about, um, you know, things that people like you and I don't notice. And one of the things that concluded is that, you know, the people who were using the word plantation and food branding, even un- perhaps some of them unwittingly, are trying to evoke a very warm and fuzzy feeling that I used to have when I heard the word plantation, even though I'm from New Jersey and never been to a plantation. Yeah. And so the question becomes like, well, why does it make, why does the word plantation make me, a white guy from New Jersey, feel warm and fuzzy? And it turns out that there's a whole history to that. And so, you know, there's, you know, some uh, big questions to ask about it. I think. That sounds great. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. 
And now the spiel. Impeachment has taken my attention away from other news, and you know, maybe that's okay. Because if it weren't for impeachment, I might actually be paying attention to the travails of Prince Andrew. You know, I'm not that into the royals ever since they traded Buddy Bianca Lana. Oh, no, I mean the British royals. I hear Princess Markle is kind of cool. And her husband, he's the ginger or maybe the bald one. He seems like a nice enough fellow. His heart's in the right place when it comes to climate change. He's against it. And also, I know there's a Fergie there somewhere out there. She once wrote a book about Budgie the helicopter. I remember that. I think we need more anthropomorphized helicopters from England. I know there's the one from Thomas the Tank Engine. And that guy always seems like he had a can-do attitude. I think Budgie had a can-do attitude, too. Come to think of it, all of Thomas and Thomas's friends have a can-do attitude. Basically, the entire genre of anthropomorphized transit is just ripping off the little engine that could. So there's the ginger, or maybe the ex-ginger, and Princess Markle, and Pippa, or Peppa, or someone's sister, and Fergie, and Budgie, and the queen. Ooh, the queen! But now I find out there's this Prince Andrew character. And he may or may not have been supplied underaged girls by Jeffrey Epstein. Now, I say may because he definitely was. And I say may not because he denies it, but he does so really badly. Like all time hilariously badly if it weren't such a serious misdeed being alleged. And I say alleged because he did it, but also because you got to say alleged. So this is the story I would have paid attention to were it not for the blessings of the impeachment inquiry. And it centers around, well, the facts of the case, but also this interview he gave to the BBC in which he said this regarding Virginia Joffrey. That was her name then, now Roberts. She alleged that the prince had sex with her when she was 17. Here's some of his answer. Without putting too fine a point on it, if you're a man, it is a positive act to have sex with somebody. You have to have to take some sort of positive action. And so therefore, if you try to forget, it's very difficult to try and forget positive action. And I do not remember anything. I can't, I've racked my brain and thinking, oh, well, when the first allegations, when the allegations came out originally, I went, well, that's a bit strange. I don't remember this. Now, as to this next question, the English... I should say, do not have an equivalent of the sport of softball, all right? So this would normally be what we call a softball question. Mm -hmm. In cricket, they have something called a full toss, which is an easy-to-hit pitch that the bowler does not bounce. For this question, the prince should have been in full toss mode, yet it is he who comes off as the full tosser. Do you regret the whole friendship with Epstein? (laughs) Um, uh, now, uh, still not, and the reason being is that, that the, the people that I met um, and the opportunities that I was given to learn, um, either by him or because of him, were actually very useful. Oh, if only the English had the concept of the learning annex, the prince wouldn't have needed the educational advantages that he can only get from a Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein, so useful pedagogically. Wait, I suppose the English would say pedagogically, right? Because pedagogical, pedagogical, we say pedophile, but they say Prince Andrew. But you were staying at the house of a convicted sex offender. It was a convenient place to stay. 
There's, I mean, I mean, I've gone through this in my mind so many times. At the end of the day, um, uh, uh, with the benefit of all the hindsight that one could have, um, it was definitely the wrong thing to do. Um, but at the time, I felt it was the, it was the honourable and right thing to do. Well, such a horrible, horrible interview does come with consequences. And here is what the prince announced soon after this BBC disaster. Well, just days after giving what has been described as a car crash interview on television during which Prince Andrew tried to explain the nature of his former relationship with the late financier Jeffrey Epstein, the prince said on Wednesday in a statement that he would be stepping down from royal duties for the foreseeable future. Stepping down from royal duties? Oh, heavens! Who shall bathe the royal corgis? Who shall critique the footman who bugles forth the fox hunt? Whoever shall toss crusts of bread to the swans that stock the royal ponds? Shall the swans simply seek out their own crusts? No one thinks about that, do they? It is sad, it is tragic even, and only because of exchanges like this. So if Virginia Roberts is watching this interview, what is your message to her? I don't have a message for her because I have to have a thick skin. If somebody's going to make those sorts of, of allegations, then I've just got to have a thick skin and get on with it. The thickness, or at least permeability of the prince's skin, came up later in the interview when, as part of his denial that he ever danced with Virginia Joffrey at a nightclub where she remembered him sweating profusely, he answered, that's impossible because, Prince Andrew said, at that time in his life, he could not sweat because he suffered from a medical condition that he got while at war. The Falklands War rendered him sweatless. It was almost impossible for me to, to, to sweat. But, he added, he has since regained the ability to perspire. So don't, you know, try that thing where you turn up the studio lights just to see if he's lying. I mean, what are the chances of that? It just so happens that this sweatless period was the exact time frame that the accuser claims. That's it, right? That is all we need. What a stroke of luck for him, the accused. You know, it's hard to prove a negative. But she just pointed a finger at a sweatless man of being sweaty. What a stroke of good fortune for his royal highness. Now, the upshot of all of this, this credible accusation, this national scandal, this disastrous interview, this risible explanation, well, it's pretty severe. The royals, who are known for the Tower of London and decapitory retribution, they do know how to mete out punishment. And today, Prince Andrew got his. Queen Elizabeth, seen riding with Prince Andrew at Windsor Friday, is trying to balance the role of monarch and mother, reportedly calling off a big birthday party for Andrew at Buckingham Palace. No birthday party. Yes, yes, shocking, harsh, but true. They won't be playing pin the blame on the Epstein, or he says, she says, Simon says, or they won't be asking the prince to blow out the candle and make a wish. No, can't wish that. He already hanged himself. This would be a comeuppance, but nothing is going to happen to this ultimately undeserved scion of a nation's fortune and, I guess up until now, favor. Couldn't have happened to a nicer institution than the royal family. 
I will say it is going to take a giant stick of deodorant to erase the stink of this scandal. Notice I said deodorant, not antiperspirant. The prince apparently has that one covered. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Daniel Schrader had 10,000 men. He marched them all right up the hill, then marched them down again. Christina DeJosa, in the face of all this mindless marching, has agreed to simply produce the gist today and tune out all the military maneuvers. The gist. From 1979 through the mid-aughts, I could sweat, but only through my tear ducts. So during a game of pickup basketball, it seemed like I was crying profusely. LeBron James apparently has the same condition. Umpru depru dupru, and thanks for listening.